Hello everyone and welcome to today's webinar. Uh, it's just gone one o'clock so I'm just going to give everyone a chance to join. Um, do feel free to drop into the Q&A box and say hi. We've disabled the chat feature as we've discovered it can cause problems for some people using screen readers. You can see the numbers going up, so glad you could all make it today. Just give it a few more moments for more people to join. Hello, Patty, saying hello from Guelph in Canada. Hiya. Okay, um, I think we'll make a start now. So hello and um, welcome to the 15th session now in our Accessibility Insights series, where AbilityNet's Head of Digital Inclusion, Robin Christofferson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. Uh, this month, he's chatting to Susanna Lowrin, who is Chairman and Chief Executive, uh, sorry, Chief Research and Innovation Officer at Funka, and also representative to the EU for the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, uh, AKA the IAAP. Um, I'm Annie Mannion, I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet, and I'll be running you through today's session. So just to go through a few bits of housekeeping, um, we have live captions today provided by MyClearText. Um, you can turn on the captions using the CC option on the control panel. Uh, additional captions are available via streamtext.net forward slash player question mark event equals AbilityNet. And slides are available at slideshare.net forward slash AbilityNet. Um, and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash funker dash webinar. Uh, if you have any technical issues and you need to leave early, then don't worry, you'll receive an email in a couple of days' time um, with the recording, the transcript and the slides. And then, uh, depending on how you joined the webinar, you'll find the Q&A window. Uh, if you want to ask Susanna or Robin any questions, do drop those in the Q&A area for them to address. Um, and they'll do that after today's session in a follow-up blog on our website, um, which is also at forward slash funker-webinar. And then we also have a feedback um, survey that you'll be directed to at the end, uh, which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like us to cover in our webinars. So please do fill that out. So that's all for me from now, for now. And so over to Robin and Susanna. Fantastic. Thank you, Annie. And big welcome, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us, Susanna. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, uh, yeah. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to this one, guys. Uh, okay, first mandatory question, we need to get it out of the way. What is your hot beverage or, or any kind of drink to help you get through this ordeal? I've just got boring tea, what we would call builder's tea, which is so strong, you can stand the spoon up in it. So uh, how about you? Uh, well, I have I have a, a nice um, cafe latte uh, and only the, only the milk uh, is, is 
so that you can so the the spoon could stand a little bit just in the beginning. <laughs> but I'm not the barista, so it's it, it just takes one second and then it kind of floats away. I also have water. It's a very hot day today. Oh, great! Yeah, it is. It is. If people can hear my fan, apologies. I tried turning it off, and I uh, I think I'd expire over the duration of the webinar. So yeah, apologies there. Great. So of the many hats that you wear, um, we've mentioned a, a couple. IAAP, obviously, the uh, association that is trying to professionalize accessibility. Um, you're the representative to the EU. So our first question is, where do you think um, accessibility and the profession of accessibility, how it will develop in the coming years across, for example, the whole of Europe? Well, that's kind of a big question, but I, I need I, I don't want to to correct anyone, but I'm not the chairman of Funka. I'm I'm one of the one of the members of the of the board, but I'm not a chairman. I just wanted to clarify that. So um, otherwise my chairman will be angry with me. So um, where is the accessibility profession going? I think um, well, we see a really a, a, an enormous raise in demand because of the legislation in uh, in the EU, at least. Uh, I, I know most about the EU. I, I can't speak for all the kind of geographic Europe, but, but in the EU, we see a very uh, increasing demand for expertise. And also, I think what IWP has really changed or, or are about to change is, is the the fact that, that professionals can be certified in accessibility. So that will make it much easier for both people who are recruiting accessibility expertise and also organizations that are procuring or buying uh, accessibility expertise. And so we see more and more examples of um, recruitment advertisements saying that it's a merit to have to, to be certified in one way or another, and also in more and more uh, public procurement, and especially rewarding, I think, is for the monitoring agencies in some of the member states that that have been procuring expertise to support the monitoring of the Web Accessibility Directive, which is arguably the most important part of making audits and tests and things like that. And they, some of the more and more of the member states also mention IWAP certification as a way to get extra points for uh, for getting that. Um, yeah, that assignment. So I think it will be more professionalized and it will be more fun as we grow. We still need um, much more boots on the ground, many more boots on the ground. And there is an opportunity for anyone that wants to work with this, because I think this, I don't see the end of, of, of this increased demand. There's, I mean, all the member states that we work with, with the monitoring agencies and also within the European Commission, where I do uh, quite a lot of my, uh, my working days, there is still many member states where the demand, they, they just look everywhere for expertise and there's no ways to be find, found. So anyone who wants to work with this and is prepared to learn more, of course, and you know, we have to keep the quality high, uh, but, but, but I think we, we need to be welcoming and, and hopefully we will get much more, many more friends in, in our little community and, and grow the community. So I, I really only see positive, um, you know, the, the, the future for, for the accessibility professional or uh, the, the profession of, of accessibility experts is really just a very bright future for, for anyone. And right now, I think any, everyone should try to raise their salaries because <laughs> we are so scarce that, that everyone should, should pay more, especially people with disabilities, of course, who, who should be paid for their expertise, even if they are you know, just doing short uh, user testing or whatever, should always claim money for their expertise. Absolutely, yes. And um, for people that aren't aware, the IAAP, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, has done a brilliant job in professionalizing the profession, the, the area of accessibility, which was a bit of a wild west 
before then, you know, there was a lot of variability. This is widely recognized. It does, um, uh, you know, go towards your career progression. You know, you can get CPD qualifications that will actually help you level up within your particular career path. So this is a thing, guys. This is something that you absolutely should sit up and take note of and look at incorporating within your organizations if you're not doing that already. It's absolutely brilliant. So across Europe, then you've already mentioned that, you know, you're not necessarily kind of familiar with exactly what's going on, uh, uh, you know, on the ground in different localities, different nations. But do you have uh, an idea about which uh, areas are doing things particularly well? Are there some accessibility hotspots where we could really look at, um, you know, how they're doing things well and really learn from best practice there? Well, uh, we do work with all the member states and, and we tend to think that Switzerland, Norway and UK is kind of so close to us. So we <laughs> want to have them in, in the family still um, for different reasons. So, so that's kind of my, my uh, market, if you will, where I can say something. And I think uh, it, it's difficult to, to say um, exactly what is happening in each member state because there's so much going on uh, at the same time. But we do see um, a lot of interesting things, for example, both in Belgium and, and the Netherlands, uh, I think are doing very interesting thing kind of on a central um, level where they try to, to make sure that the monitoring and the, the training and, and the procurement and everything is kind of in, in framework contracts and, and really try to push the, the, each of the public sector bodies to, to do things in a good way, but really supporting them from the top down, so to speak. Um, and, and we see in the Nordic countries more of a, a, the, the opposite direction, so more the end user organizations being very strong and, and pushing for end user involvement and also end user um, participation in, in all sorts of things. So that's kind of more of a bottom up uh, perspective. And we see good and less good things in, in all the member states, but I think something that is really um, less encouraging maybe is we have some a few countries, I won't tell you which, but there are some uh, weak spots as well where, where they seem to think that um, the reporting back to the commission is something that is lowering their willingness to really perform a good monitoring exercise. So we have had very serious discussions with some of the monitoring agencies saying that if we, if we do a good job, then the results will be that in our country, we can see that there are uh, inaccessibility in a lot of places. And if we report that to the commission, then the commission will, will tell us you're doing a bad job and then we will have problems. So it's better for us to do Not kind of a, a lightweight uh, monitoring so that we don't find all the problems and then we report something good to the commission and then we look good. So that is something I must say, I mean, I've been so much involved in this legislation and the, and, you know, the implementation acts and the discussion and everything. I couldn't in my life imagine this discussion to happen, but here we are. So we need to do something with the culture around accessibility and, and the whole, you know, the, the setup, the, the way you approach this so that it's not something you need to do just because it's legislation, but that you really understand kind of inside of your body that, that this is the right thing to do and you, we need to do it. And we, you know, try to do it in a good way instead of just doing it because somebody is telling us to do it. That that will never work. So I think, yeah, it's a long long answer. But but really, I, I'm so much into this. Um, you know, using the legislation in a good way and not making people just want to work around it. Or you know, I, I get so provoked when people approach me and say, "How can we 
can you give us a tip on how not to make this accessible and still you know look like we are compliant that's just it's an amazing question but that's that's still what we get sometimes so. mm -hmm. I mean, we could have a huge conversation about the business case, the very compelling business case, because, you know, it absolutely, it ticks all the boxes, uh, you know, ethical, hard-nosed business, you know, return on investment. But the legislation is definitely an area that I'm, um, you know, here in the UK, the Web Accessibility Directive that you mentioned a moment ago, and that is coming up to an anniversary soon, um, was brought into UK law under the guise of the public sector bodies accessibility regulations and because that was now enforced for the first time in UK uh, sort of legal history there was um, a requirement within the law for them to proactively monitor and report and potentially fine organisations we've seen a massive shift in public sector bodies here unfortunately because of Brexit the, the next one that came along uh, that would have come along that would cover other sectors hasn't made it through there but the equality the european accessibility act are you thinking that that's gonna kind of make these um the less the, the cool spots across europe do you think that will heat them up a little bit yeah definitely i mean there's so many positive things uh, around the accessibility act uh, i know many people especially in the end user community or the disabled persons organizations are Kind of disappointed that we didn't get everything into the act and so on and, and I, I understand that that position but but really um i mean from the uk perspective you will be affected even if if you decide not to include this in your implemented the legislation in, in in uk because this will cover so many products and services and companies that if you want to sell to the eu which mm -hmm. you, your industry will <laughs> then you will be affected anyway so that's that's the beauty of the accessibility act this will really spread uh, much wider than than the than the web accessibility direct directive ever ever did or, or or has been doing. But we also see already that focusing on the public sector that may seem like a kind of a small scope, but the enormous purchasing power of public sector means that that is still a very big scope only in the web accessibility directive. And also all the IT companies that want to sell to public sector, which is kind of everyone, or at least most of the you know, larger and, and mid-sized ones, they do want to sell to public sector. And so they also need to comply with the regulations, otherwise they can't sell to public sector. So we still, you know, already now we see that this is spreading much more than before. And we can just see it in Funka in the, in our numbers, in our own bookkeeping, uh, I mean, I I worked in the company for twenty years almost, and and we've seen um, we have been serving uh, the public sector and the NGOs mostly, and then we had kind of one or two percent maybe ICT companies as our clients uh, for many years, and then in two thousand and seventeen, when the procurement directive entered into place, then it started growing, and then we have said a seen a steady grow and now the proportion of our clients that are ICT companies are more than 25%. And we haven't done anything. I mean, they come to us. We haven't changed anything in our marketing or anything like that. So that is, I think that is proof that this regulation, already the regulation focusing on public sector is also changing um, the private sector, I mean, part of it. And, and the Accessibility Act, I think the most rewarding thing from my point of view is that the banks and the e-commerce especially and also some other sectors they are so much aware of this they are they are acting much faster and they are already asking for training and they want to know exactly what to do and you know have a, a long uh, long long-term strategy for uh, for the enforcement and, and compliance and you know the organization setup and everything and they are so much more forward-leaning than the public sector 
ever was. <laughs> because we have been talking about the Web Accessibility Directive and the Procurement Directive for years and no one was, they were not interested until it really happened. And then they kind of tried to run to, you know, they were left behind. The, the private sector is much faster because they have somebody who's working on compliance. They're they are used to, to deal with legal things and they don't want to have a product or a service that is taken off market because it doesn't comply with the Accessibility Act. So even if it won't come into place or be you know, active until 2025, we have still loads of organizations, large organizations mostly, that are already uh, preparing themselves for the Accessibility Act. So I'm absolutely sure that will that is kind of a you know a big wave that will grow even more or a snowball effect or whatever you call it. And that leads nicely onto the next question. So um, there's this massive uptick in activity right across Europe. Now, over the last, I don't know, two decades, maybe the um, the US has been pretty active, certainly from a, a, a legislation, no, from a litigation point of view. Um, they have had legislation you know, in, in place all that time. And those guys are very keen on um, bringing claims, et cetera. So the, there's, you know, the, the kind of activity, at least from a litigation point of view, has been over there. Section 508 has certainly really helped VPAT and that sort of thing. And whilst we've always had legislation over here, there hasn't really been the um, appetite to enforce it. But now, as you've been saying, you know, we've got all this extra activity and people are really sitting up and noticing that, yes, okay, we've, we've now got to do it. You know, everything has been pushing towards digital, particularly with COVID. Um, what do you see? You know, do you see Europe as being the next sort of area in the world where the most activity and the most progress will be happening over the, over the coming years? That's a very good question. I think, first of all, I think it's much more than 20 years that the US have had the kind of the leading t-shirt, the yellow t-shirt of Tour de France on, mm -hmm. uh, but, um, and I also think already, I mean, now I'm kind of partly paid by the commission, so maybe I should say this, but I really, I really do believe that we are already in the lead now. I think it's a big difference, and I mean, we are pushing the standards much, um, um, I mean, forward, we are, we are pointing to WCAG 2.1 already, and the US is not, so um, I think we are now the leading place where research and innovation and, and you know new ideas and also from the enforcement perspective and, and end user involvement I, th I think we are we are now the leaders and you can see that in also the the global south or the, or the third world uh, countries are looking to towards the EN standard uh, for implementation and and also I mean all sorts of, of emerging uh, markets that are looking to how Europe has done this in, instead of looking to the US so I I, you know, I, I work on both sides of the pond, so I would like us to collaborate and harmonize and do things together. So I, I don't want this to be a kind of a, a, a competition, but maybe a healthy competition. <laughs> but but I do see I do see Europe as, as taking the lead now, definitely. And and I think that's uh, I think it's a good thing. And I uh, I know some people don't like when I say it, but I don't think we should harmonize uh, in a way that we go backwards. So I think it's much more important that we stick to this lead and and keep you know, keep pushing and making sure that the others need to follow us. Um, and I think we need to have a little bit more maybe confidence in that we can do things. It's a difference. I mean, the litigation piece is not as, I mean, it's not comparable to what is in the, in the US, but, but from a legal standpoint, I think um, we, we, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We, we need, you know, we do this in a slightly different way, but I, I really think we have gained a lot of momentum right now and and I would claim yes we are in the lead. 
you mentioned WCAG 2.1. I'm gonna I'm gonna look ahead, not even 2.2, but let's look to 3.0. And I know that you've been leading Funker's work in um, the importance of using actual end users in the testing process. Do you want to mm -hmm. say a bit about why that's important and the context of that going forward? Oh, that's kind of the reason Funka exists <laughs> is that you know that end users should be at the heart of this and and not any any kind of other uh, self-claimed uh, experts. But uh, I think it's to me it's obvious that if you if you create a product or a service or, or anything that you must test it with users and that it should be based on user requirements. That's kind of, uh, should be obvious, I think, to, to everyone. And if you, if you don't, then you will create products and services that don't work for anyone or it just works for small, small proportions of, the, of your potential uh, clients and so on. So that's kind of obvious. But still, when we do, uh, we have made a series of research projects around this at the EU level and, and also nationally and, and in the Nordics. And it's amazingly uh, low, the numbers, <laughs> people who really do involve users in different mm -hmm. ways. And then that's on a general level. And then if you keep asking that part of, of the organizations that do user testing and user involvement, if you ask them how many end users with, with different abilities that they include, then, then it becomes even lower numbers. So it's... I mean, no, um, um, yeah, I mean, how could that ever be good? <laughs> how could that ever succeed if you don't, you need to test it, there's no chance. And we work a lot with standards and I'm part of the special task force in Etsy doing the EN standard and so on. So we have been closely involved and standards are super important, but they're never enough. That's the baseline. And if you really want to know that something is working, then you need to test with users. So that's, to me, that is, uh, it's the most obvious thing, but still we need to tell people <laughs> to Absolutely. do it. And it's amazing. But uh, again, I would go back to the money thing. I think you need to make sure that um, you do the user involvement and that can be done in many different ways, but you need to do it early if possible. And you need to make sure that you have people with different abilities and age and sex and, you know, all kind of a green, a blue, a red one. We try to put it that way. Uh, and then these people need to get paid because some companies claim that we can't find any users. We tried to find users, but we, we didn't find anyone. Yeah. But did you tell them just to quit their day job and go testing for you without being paid? I mean, then of course they say no, <laughs> who wouldn't? So I think that is, that is one of the, the most recent projects we have done is really to, you know, to make kind of a, uh, for, for organizations to sign up for, okay, we, we understand the, the, the importance of, of including end users and yes, we are gonna treat them as the experts they are. Because I think that is, that is kind of one of the key factors to make this work. Absolutely, kind of the professionalization of end users as well yes. as accessibility okay. professionals. Um, totally, and we should make that a really clear message, a clear takeaway from today. There's a massive gap between technical compliance and real life accessible products, and that's where the users come in. But yeah, shift left, that's a thing. We talked about it before on other webinars. You know, bring them in right from the beginning, make sure you're personas are diverse, make sure they're involved at every stage in the project, and then there won't be any surprises, there won't be any costly retrofitting, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, absolutely. And it kind of comes down to the compliance thing that we were talking about. If you approach it from a compliance point of view, then you're going to do the bare minimum and you're going to, you know, look at the technical compliance and, uh, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're now AA or, you know, we're there or thereabouts. 
what is your feeling on the kind of carrots and sticks approach? Are they equally important? How do you kind of win hearts and minds when you're in, you know, a kind of a business uh, argument with with your clients or with prospective clients, etc.? Well, we tried to stay out of the argument part. Oh, sorry, that's not the right word. Conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think on a societal level, I think legislation is is a good way to move forward. And of course, we, I mean, we, we see already the, the the positive parts of legislation and so on. But but me, for me personally, and I think also from a business perspective, the stick can never ever be the way uh, forward. I. I just don't believe it. There are, I mean, and many people uh, argue against that. But, but, but we never tried to to say you have to do this or you should be ashamed or you know. We, we never use that arguments. We always try to see it from a positive side and say that you want to reach as many people as possible, and this is just good for design. It's, you know, it's making it easier. It have all the positive arguments that that I'm sure many of the listeners here already know of. But really stressing that and making people feel that accessibility is something that is cool and sexy and nice to work with and it's you know it's, it's really beneficial for that is to me the only way I can sell accessibility because I had never met anyone who woke up in the in the morning and said whoa today I'm not going to break the law that is really my goal for today that's maybe there are out there but I never met anyone so I think the carrot really that's that's where I want to always stay <laughs> in my dialogue with with clients and potential clients. Fantastic, thanks. Uh, so um, we're, we're rapidly running out of time. So I um, had the privilege of talking to last month's guest, who was Ursula Dalton. She's CTO of the British Heart Foundation, a very, very valuable charity here in the UK. And she has something to pass on to you. Uh, she wants to know, she put a question to you, which is what do you think is the biggest challenge and opportunity uh, for kind of helping with the next steps of embedding the culture of accessibility across Europe. So just a small question for you there. Yes, very small question, thank you. <laughs> uh, so I think humans uh, is the question, is the response to both parts of this question. So humans in this, the challenge is I think fear. People are afraid of dying, afraid of getting a, a, a disabled child, a, a fear of, of getting ill, fear of their loved ones being you know, in an accident or something. So, so I feel after many years in this business that, that when, I, when people don't want to listen to reason around accessibility, it's because they kind of fear death, I guess. So, and that is really difficult to go to get through. So I think fear is the most, is the most um, challenging things. So, and I would need another 20 minutes to <laughs> kind of get in depth with that. Um, the, uh, the the other part, the opportunity, or um, you know, the big thing is the the best thing, the opportunity positively, I think, is technology. So I don't pretend that technology solves every problem, but we can see that mainstreaming of technology, like speech, um, uh, you know, um, the translations, automatic translations, even automatic captions these days, and we see. Um, all sorts of, of technology, artificial intelligence, many things that we can use in accessibility. And I know there's a lot of, of problems also with this, but, but really if we can automize and make it easier to make things accessible in a an, in an mainstreaming way, that will make it so much easier to get all of this happening. So, so technology, I think would be the, you know, my number one hope <laughs> for, for making it happen. I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to the technology of the next, say, 10 years. But yeah, mm. um, humans will always play a part um, and hopefully they will be less afraid as um, 
you know, accessibility becomes more professionalized, it becomes more embedded in, you know, the, the sort of day to day work that people do. Um, thank you very much indeed. So the next month's uh, guest that we've got, we're lucky to have Jonathan Mosen. Now he's a disability rights advocate. He's a CEO of New Zealand's largest inclusive employment agency called WorkBridge. So he's very much in the kind of technology and um, employment opportunity space. He's also blind like myself. Uh, is there anything at all that you'd like to pass on to Jonathan? Well, I love New Zealand, so my question would be, when can I visit? But, um, or I tried to find something with, with sheep would be nice, but I couldn't kind of connect it to accessibility in a good way that you would accept. So I would think, I think to me personally, the work, uh, getting disabled persons into the workforce is one of the key factors for uh, inclusion, I think. I've done a lot of work on that myself, and, and I really think that is so. Congratulations to him for, for doing that fantastic work. Um, my question would be, how do we make sure that children and young people with disabilities get the same question as every other child or young person gets, which is, what do you want to become when you grow up? What do you mm -hmm. want to work with? What job opportunities do you think? Because I see so many so many children with, with disabilities who don't get that question because the society around them don't think that they can have a dream about the job they want to, to do or that they become pilots or whatever, uh, or secret agents that I wanted to be when I was a young child. Um, I'm not a secret agent, by the way, but- um, so, so you say, that's what you <laughs> would say. I, I have to say that or, or I have to kill you. But, um, but, but really I would like every child, no matter our ability to get that same question so how do we, how can we work together to make that happen uh, from, from Sweden to New Zealand and, and everywhere else? Oh, fantastic. What a brilliant question that we should all have equal assumptions made about our um, yes. prospects and uh, opportunities. I love it. Yeah. People are always surprised the number of times when, um, you know, people, I get into conversation with them and I mention that I'm married or they see my wedding ring, they say, oh, well done. <laughs> like, um, wow, you managed to, you know, um, achieve something as basic as, uh, yeah, but no, it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, brilliant conversation. Hope everyone's really enjoyed that as much as I have. And uh, I'll pass back to Annie for a final bit of housekeeping. Thanks, Annie. Well, thank you so much. Um, to Susanna and Robin, and um, there are lots of questions that we hope to answer online in the next few days. Uh, so you'll receive an email with the link to access them. Um, I just wanted to share a bit more information that might be of interest to you. Um, we also run online training sessions on digital accessibility. Uh, you can find out more about them at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. Uh, we also have a, a special back to school offer on our training courses um, that you can use in September. So use back to school 1010 before the end of the month for 10% off all our courses. So coming up this week, we have um, accessibility for copywriters on the 9th of September, then how to do inclusive usability testing on the 16th of September. Uh, one of our new courses is how to develop accessible, inclusive recruitment on the 22nd of September. Uh, a popular course um, is PDF accessibility on the 23rd of September. And then another one, uh, a new course, how to develop accessible, inclusive onboarding. And then um, just some other resources available. You can also sign up to our newsletter for the latest announcements about digital accessibility. Um, visit our YouTube channel and download our podcast. 
and we have a suite of accessibility services to suit all types of organisations. And then finally, um, don't forget about our, our next webinars, our free webinars, which you can access at forward slash webinars. Uh, so as Robin mentioned, um, in October, you can meet Jonathan Mosen, uh, CEO at Workbridge, who will be joining us on the 12th of October. And then before that, on the 28th of September, you can find out how to create an inclusive workplace. And that's with speakers from the National Trust and Burkida. Um, so that's all from me. And thank you again, Susanna and Robin, and everyone who's joined us. Uh, please do complete the feedback form that you'll be directed to, and we'll be in touch very soon. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.